Father, every one of us gathered in this room and online, we're interacting with the words of that song from different places in our journey. Some of us are on the top of the hill, wind at our back, and others of us are at the bottom of the hill, wind in our face. Some of us are clutching beauty right now in a way that we've never known. Others of us are captured by brokenness and imprisoned by brokenness in a way we've not known. But that common posture of waiting for you is a posture, as Eiler was saying, that is a choice, an active choice for us to submit before you right now. Some of us are followers of yours, some of us are not. But what we have in common is we're involved in this journey called human life. We're commonly created in your image. And we're here because you got us here. Regardless of what we think brought us into this place or caused us to, to click online, you've got us here because you want to speak into our lives, to speak not into our religiosity, but to speak into our humanity. And I want to confess, in the presence of these folks, no matter how much I care about them, I've got nothing for them without your word and your spirit. I can't even speak into my own journey, but I want to thank you. I can stand here confidently. Because as one flawed man to other flawed people, I can come in the name of Jesus on the basis of your work on the cross, your work of redemption and restoration, and I can trust you to give me, give them what we need right now, not just individually, but as a community called Northland that's relaunching, that's moving into a new chapter. Would you speak to us? Speak to us maybe in the place of that point of deepest longing that we weren't even anticipating opening up before you this morning. We're, we're men and women, as the psalmist said that we saw on the screens, living in a, a dry and parched land where there is no water, but we thank you that water can be found with you. So would you pour now? I ask this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Happiness. Security looks like enough money to pay my bills. Happiness is making my wife happy all the time. I would say money and love. Just being financially secure and having a lover, somebody to love them. To live forever and watch my kids grow up. <laughs> Free time to pursue my passions as opposed to utilitarian work, which we have to do to pay the bills and keep the roof on our heads, right? I mean, I might long for a missed loved one, someone that died, and something like that. Oh, see people happy. If other people not happy, I'm not happy. Uh, I like to make it. 
At my age, definitely peace. <laughs> people to get along together, people to do for one another. Put God first in your life and it'll all fall right into place. Love, which is Jesus' first commandment is what you should do, to love each other. Yeah. We need more love and peace in this world. Well, good morning. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Good morning. Man, are you kidding me? We're at the, this is great to be here. We're at the, at the launch of a new season in the life of Northland Church, building on 40 years of rich ministry. And now God's entrusting to us this next chapter so we can't blow it. All right? Deal? Oh, you gave me a lot of confidence there. Uh, deal? You know, he, uh, the, the hope that we had last weekend, as, as, as Nathan and Matt were talking about, was fantastic. It was great to see you guys and the, the energy as God is speaking into us regarding who we are as a community, as a whole, and this whole notion of and being fully alive. You guys like my t-shirt, by the way? It, um, some of you have already commented that I wore it last week as well. I did. I've worn it every day. I've slept in it. I'll give you a hug out in the foyer afterwards and you can smell it. Just kidding. It is clean. But uh, we do have these and more and more of you are getting them. But I also have some here to maybe give away. Depends on how, how you respond here and if you, how quick you, you are. I'm going to take, you guys know, name that tune. You know that, that game? It's not that hard to figure it out. You just name that tune. And uh, uh, we're going to do a trial here just to make sure, because the tech guys are scared to death of me having any technology within the scope of control. So they are uh, going to see if I can do this, but I'm going to try this, see how our volume is. And... See trees of green, red roses too. All right, that's pretty good. I've, I've got an interpretive dance that goes with that that I'm going to do in just a minute. All right, so here's how, here's how this is going to go. If that were uh, part of the contest, and it's not, you need to raise your hand and uh, call out whoever the first is to guess both the artist and the song uh, would win. So if that were real competition, what would you say? Louis Armstrong, what a wonderful world. All right, got it? So the people in your section, though, can help me. There's a lot of folks to look at all over, and so I'll, 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 I'll try the best as I can. We got into a big church fight in the 9 o'clock service because there are a couple of people that I miss. So, uh, but I'll play this, and you raise your hand and yell it out. You're raising your hand already. haven't even played a song yet. You're ready to go. All right, so here's the first one. You guys ready? So you got to raise your hand, shout it out, or get my attention, and I'll stop the music. Artist and song. Can't be one or the other. Here we go. Okay, did I, have I missed it? Was there somebody else that I missed? Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. we got a huge section over here. All right, what is it? 
One day, Matishyahu, very good. Here, here you go. You guys, uh, yeah. Sorry, it's not a baseball. It, it's cushy. It's a t-shirt. So just keep passing it back. Uh, last night, I actually threw a line drive and hit a guy in the face. And I'm, I don't know that he'll ever come back. But, um, and by the way, these have the little wristband uh, around them as well. I mean, it's, it's two for one. So I'm, I'm going to play more of that song, though, because this is an awesome sound system to have my phone hooked up to. And I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> Sometimes I live under the moon. I thank God I'm breathing. And I pr- no, we already won that song. We're, I'm just listening to it right now. Seriously? You're going to say that we already got the answer. All right, here's, uh, here's another one. Okay. Oh, my word. We got somebody right over here. Now that's impressive. That was really quick. Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. Gentle, gentle. There we go. All right, I'll play a little bit more of it. Hey, students, how are you guys doing up there? Huh? Yeah, there we go. I'm counting on you. You're going to have to recognize one here in a minute. Okay, that's... That was one, let's see. Um, did you just call out a song and I haven't even played one yet? It's not, it, yeah, this is not re- re- request time. It's. Uh, I see, you guys are, oh, there we go, right there. There's a lot. That's okay. All those people that that volunteered you just, they need to buy you lunch, though. So, all right, just keep going. Did somebody over here have it? Oh, okay, throw something at, yes. What you wanted, one republic, very good. Okay, you guys are getting pretty cocky, so um, here we go. Sorry, church fight, church fight. Where? Okay, right here. Whoa, there's a mutiny over here. Were you guys first? Okay. This is awesome. Okay. All right, we got one here. Stand up. Who is it? No. But, oh, it, did you say, you did say animal. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Animal by Mike Snow, is that what you were gonna say? 
Okay, so what you do is you go in the bookstore and you tell them that I was in jest and you're supposed to get a, a, a t-shirt too, all right? Because I've, I've got, oh, I've got to get rid of this one. There we go. Sorry, catch it. But there's another one, all right? So you t tell them it was a tie. Tie goes to the, and in the bookstore. So all of these, take them into the bookstore and if you give them $50, they'll give you the t-shirt. You can keep the t-shirt. Just kidding. But you take them to the bookstore to get your size, unless it's the right size, okay? I don't know what they're, I think they're just 20 bucks in the bookstore for the, for the rest of you people that don't know music. But um, <laughs> all right, here's one more. Um, yeah, I've got to take advantage of this sound system. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Whoa! Okay, what? Very good. All right. The students. Okay, so you tell them the same thing. So we got two people that are grievances in the bookstore, and they're on me. Okay? Seriously. So tell them the bookstore. Tell me your name. What? Did somebody make a great throw or what? What? I missed it as well over here too. You, it was a tie? Okay. Oh, he was first. All right. So we got three now in the bookstore. Bookstore is loving me right now. There are three, so you got to tell them. They're going to have 45 people come in and say, I was one of the ones that got overlooked. All right, I'm listening to this song, sorry. I want, uh, I want this sound system in my house. In the other service, I laid down. You can feel the bass in the floor. It's awesome. We're just, this is church right now, right? You know, there's not another service until tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. So we could keep playing these for a while. But I, I won't. Now, this, these are all on a playlist. What's the name of it? No, it's my playlist. What do you think I've named it? Fully Alive. You know, people see, it's a great idea. I, but I, it's not the name of it. But I'm thinking of changing the name of it. The name of the, my playlist, I've got it's Longing. Longing. Every one of these songs, not written by Christians, all, most, they're not Christian bands. Most are not written by Christians. Some are followers of Christ. But they're all about longing. You see, every one of these songs is written by somebody created in the image of God. And we're hardwired. We've, got, we've all got common stuff. We, we share the, the, the same heritage in terms of being human beings created in the image of God. And what great art can do is it acts as a hand that comes up to the shutter of my heart and opens it up and lets me art see and articulate things that I wasn't able to articulate for myself. And every one of these songs is tapping soul thirst human longing. 
I'm out of t-shirts. So is the bookstore after all of you go in. But let me play one more. This is Something's Missing by John Mayer. And I want you to pay attention to the lyrics as well. Something's missing. Something's missing. I'm not alone. I wish I was, because then I'd know. So he says, I'm not alone. I wish I was, because then I'd know that I was down because I couldn't find a friend around to love me like they do right now. They do right now. I'm dizzy from the shopping malls. I searched for joy, but I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains and a thirst I'd have to drown first to ever satiate. Something's missing, and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing, and I don't know what it is at all. That's well said. We all have thirst, vacancies in our soul. This past week, Huffington Post published a survey by Kathy Caprino about the top 10 things people want in life but can't seem to get. Number one was happiness, then money and freedom and peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, confidence, stability, passion. We're hungry people. We're thirsty people. And along comes a group of people, very real human beings that are gathering together under a common cadence of a vision statement. And that vision statement is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Does that have anything to do with this playlist? Does that have anything to do with those longings? I think it does. And not just a little bit. At the core of that vision statement is the biblical authority, the statement of Jesus. It says, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. It's a direct reference to Genesis chapter 3, when we were created and God said, take the path of life, obey me, follow me, don't take this path of death. This is a path where we say, God, I don't need you to be fulfilled as a human being. I can be normal without you. We sinned as a result of sin. Death entered the world. Our hearts continue to beat. Our lungs continue to breathe, but we're dead. We're all born dead. We're dead men and women walking, still capable of great love, great ingenuity, great creativity and art and beauty. The list goes on and on, but it's muted. It's cloaked. It's truncated by this reality that's now in the world called death. We're told that the world is groaning as a result. The enemy came along and ushered this in by lying to us as human beings saying, if you take this path of being your own man or woman and coming up with what will fulfill you on your own, you shall not surely die, but we died. 
And so Jesus says, the thief, he, he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And that's what's happened. He says, but I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. It's not a self-improvement thing. It's not a positive mental attitude thing. It's a restorative agenda, a cosmic agenda that Jesus came to give. He didn't come to give us something to do on a Sunday morning. He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start holidays. Jesus was the first human being to walk on this planet who was fully alive since Adam and Eve before the fall. What was distinct about him was not his religiosity, not even his morality or his ideology, even though his morality was rock solid and his ideology was absolutely brilliant. What was most unique about him was that he was fully alive. And he says, my agenda is to bring you back to life. That's what St. Irenaeus in the second century, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The res restoration of the garden is when we're brought back to life. Yes, still in fallen bodies, still in a fallen world. But what Christ came to do was usher in a restoration that had been promised in the garden. It's not complete and won't be until that second coming. But we're in this time in which he's summoning men and women back to life. And we're entrusted with this message as the church. reason I'm so excited about this vision statement that we're rallying around. It's parallel with what the New Testament church was doing. In Acts chapter 5 verse 20, the disciples were preaching the gospel, this good news. They got, they were imprisoned. The angel broke them out and said, all right, go stand in the temple courts. Go back out there and tell the people all about not this new religion, but this new life. And embedded in the early church's cadence and mission was his understanding that they had been brought to life by Jesus. And actually, Jesus is referred to a fascinating, powerful phrase as the firstborn of all creation in Colossians chapter 1. He's referred to as the one who is firstborn of all creation creations. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, bring it up. And he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. The church, the kaleo, the kalein, the called out ones, ekklesia is the, the Greek word there. And they're connecting this calling with Jesus being brought from the dead. So Jesus fully alive without sin, then what he did on the cross is he took our sin, he took our death penalty upon himself. He paid that price so that we wouldn't have to pay it ourselves for all eternity. And anyone who comes to him joins him in this new life, which is why in Hebrews chapter 12, we're called something. This joyous assembly that gathers together in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So what's significant about this? Or a bunch of people getting together, didn't have anything better to do on a Sunday morning? <laughs> now the, the, the powerfully distinct reality that brings us together is that we are the ecclesia of the firstborn. 
What's unique about this group of people is how many, I don't know, only heaven knows how many people here have trusted Christ, but whoever has, has been made alive. There are two kinds of people on this planet. John talks about it, First John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son, whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We, uh, if you missed last week, you missed a brilliant insight that I had because I interpreted that verse. Here's what that verse means. It means whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There you go. So this infrared thing that heaven has looking down on the life forms, there's some, some dark images around that are not alive, and then there are groups of people that have been brought to life. And the distinct part, powerful part about a group of people getting together like this is that the majority have been brought to life, made fully alive in terms of status. But now we've got to figure out what does it look like to live out that life, to become more and more like Jesus. And that's what this vision is all about, is engaging one another, present tense. Yes, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, yes, them coming to life. But once we've come to life, unpacking that life together, what's that going to look like? John chapter 20, verse 31, John says, I've written my gospel for two reasons. Number one, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We're calling that part A or orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. All churches have a doctrinal statement. It's a right belief. We want to make sure that, that our cadence is being governed by the Word of God and that we're lifting it high. And orthodoxy is very important. But John said there's also a second reason I wrote my gospel. Part B, let's call it vibrancy. That by believing you may have what in His name? Okay, let's try it again. What? And you know what? Just say the phrase, life in his name together. Let's say it together. Life in his name. There's something vibrant about that. Watched some interviews this week by some folks that were asked about the church. And there's this, this stifled, stale, even negative perception, not necessarily of Jesus or even spirituality, but this whole notion of church. Where have we gone wrong? And it's not just that the gospel is an offense or Christ is offense. There's so much that we've done. In so many of our churches, we focused so much on orthodoxy and have been yelling that to our culture. You got to believe the right thing. But we haven't been modeling vibrancy. And as a result, we've lost our credibility. One of the biggest things I got comments on from last week is some of you younger people coming up. I had some come up to me in tears and saying, that's it. I mean, I, th I know the orthodoxy is important, but I don't see the vibrancy model. And some young people are calling our bluff and saying, until you show me your vibrancy, I'm done with your orthodoxy. Yes, I'll trust Jesus as Messiah, and I've got forgiveness of sins and a ticket for heaven that I'll cash in before I die. But what about right now? Is there a flourishing? Is there a thriving? Is there an ability to do this humanity thing in a different way? Not just in a religious way. But following Jesus, what was contagious about him? That he was fully alive. So now let's go back to that playlist. The interviews that I watched, several were artists. They know that some were raised in the church. They've seen the orthodoxy, signed off on a doctrinal statement maybe, or then rejected it. But those longings that that playlist is about, 
It's about vibrancy. Now, some of you are getting concerned. Never can we bypass orthodoxy. True orthodoxy is what's necessary for vibrancy. And true vibrancy can only be brought about by orthodoxy. It's not one or the other, it's both and. But it's the vibrancy that accompanies us on our our hunger and our thirst for that. And this, this vision statement for us to link arms and figuring out together, instead of just yelling orthodoxy at our culture, let's talk about vibrancy. What's it mean to be fully alive? at school, in recreation, at work, in community, paying attention to those longings. Because fundamentally, those longings are longings and thirst for, for vibrancy, for flourishing. If you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 4. Jesus comes across a woman. She's been married five times. The guy she's living with now? It's not her husband. Now, this is not 21st century Hollywood. It's first century Palestine. Don't know the cultural situations. All we know is this woman, marriage was a big deal to her. But all those failed marriages, we don't know if she was widowed, if she was divorced. But bottom line, it had ostracized her. And she'd go to the well at the middle of the, in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. Everybody else would go early morning late or early in the evening. But she goes to be alone, to not be subjected to the the judgmentalism and the the shame of her community. And this particular day, she's not going to be alone. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria, verse 5, John 4, called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Men mistreated women, Jews hated Samaritans. I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew. This is what he says to you. This is what he says to me. This is what he said to those brilliant musicians and composers that came up with some of the lyrics and music to those songs on that playlist and many more. He says, if you knew. You've got those longings. This woman obviously had a thirst that she was seeking to quench through marriage. And he says, if you knew. The gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Now listen, listen to what he says. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, uh, Sir, okay, kind of play along. Uh, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. 
what you just said is quite true. Now, the religious judgmental crowd will say, out of boy Jesus at this point. Thinking that Jesus is shaming her for being married five times and living with a guy now. We know from all the other interactions he has with these kind of people, there is no shame in what he's doing. He's using words like a surgeon would use a scalpel, and he's operating on something. What's he operating on? Her longings, her thirst. He's going deep with her. The reason he talks about her husbands is that's what she's been most relying on to quench her deepest longings. I don't know what he would say to you. Could be go get your golf clubs. Go get your bank account. I mean, what is it that you most rely on to address some of the deep longings? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a pet sin. Maybe it's a particular relationship. You see, when we're thirsty, we've got a choice of the pitchers that we're going after. This woman's pitcher was marriage. I don't know what yours is. Could be that boat. Could be that address in that neighborhood that you finally have built a home on. Maybe it's that title at work. Maybe it's that 401k. The list goes on and on. What Jesus was doing is asking her to engage with her thirst in a deep way. It was, it was a threefold invitation. That was the first. Let's look at all three of them one at a time. Number one, what do I do with my thirst? What do you do with your thirst? First, he invites us to engage it. Acknowledge the thirst and start thinking about it. Grapple with it. He goes back in both, both verse 10 and verse 13 and 14. He's saying, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him for a drink. He would have given you living water. In verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. There's something going on where he is wanting her to engage with whatever she is thirsty for. And what you're thirsty for might be a little different for what you're thirsty for, but there's some commonality to that because of who we are as human beings. And the problem is we, we don't engage with it. This vision statement calls us to engage with, for me to be fully alive, I've got to start owning up to what my longings are. So do you. And too often we don't. And here, it's dangerous not to because a superficial engagement with my longings will lead me to a superficial engagement with the gospel. And a superficial engagement with the gospel will cause me to be hollow and cause us to be surface. Because a superficial engagement, I want to put that statement up, I want you to read it, a superficial engagement with the gospel will lead me to a super, uh, with my longings will lead me to a superficial engagement with the gospel. Several years ago, I was in Paris on one of those sidewalk cafes and uh, trying out my French that was awful. And so I ordered something that I thought would be relatively safe. I thought I could pronounce it perfectly in French. I wanted to order Coca-Cola. And I pronounced it correctly. And he brought it back. He had a bottle of Coke and an empty glass. And, and I said, merci, and then, but I also wanted some water, so I asked him for, for, for some water. And he looked at me a little strange, but before he went to get the water, he picked up my bottle of Coke and poured it in the glass, which is very nice. It wasn't that nice of a restaurant. And I thought, oh, that's nice. 
He passes my table a couple of times, still hasn't brought my water, so excuse him why, I want to ask him about my, uh, my water. And I ask him again, and he looked a little perturbed. Before we went, he picked up my, co- my bottle of Coke and he poured some more in the glass. And I see, that's really nice, but I wanted my water. He passed my table a couple more times, still hadn't brought my water. So I asked him one more time, politely, could you bring me some water? The guy came unglued. I mean, he started saying stuff that was not in my French dictionary, but I could figure out pretty much what every word meant. And went on and on. And while he's going on and on, he picked up that bottle of Coke and then began to slosh it into my glass. It's foaming up, foaming over, spilling over onto the table. People at the tables around are looking. And I'm kind of sitting there thinking, oh, my word, this guy. uh, I, I won the lottery for the most cranky waiter in Paris. I don't know what ticked him off, but I sure hope he leaves here quick and go gets my water. He slammed the bottle down and stormed off. And I'm thinking, gee whiz. But then I started looking at my dictionary. It's a combination of my bad French and a cheap dictionary, because I looked up, and what I'd been doing is I'd been using the verb water instead of the noun. In other words, to water a garden or to pour. What I'd been doing every time is asking him to pour, or actually telling him to pour. This lazy American didn't want to pour his own coke. Hey, hey, pour my, pour, pour, pour some more. And I thought, oh, that's funny. So when he came back by, I told him, you know, what had happened, and he didn't laugh. In fact, he got a different waiter. Here's what was going on, though. What I was saying I wanted was different from what I actually needed. What this woman was saying she wanted was different than what she actually needed. What we're often saying we want to be fully alive is different from what we actually need to be fully alive. And it has to do with those longings. And when I say longings, let's clarify what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about longing for a cheeseburger. I'm talking about longings for things like significance and intimacy and love and security and connection and wholeness and acceptance and impact a desire to impact the world, shalom and purpose and meaning and goodness, truth and beauty and freedom and belonging and joy, Uh, a longing for home, for triumph, for justice, for resolution, a a longing for destiny. You don't, the list goes on and on. It's just partial list. Those things, I didn't hear that much over the course of my uh, early life. I didn't hear that much about these things in church. Let me tell you something. Hollywood gets that list. Every movie you've ever been drawn to had tapped something in you. And th- these are the calling, these are our calling cards in our humanity. You're in the image of God, you're in the image of God, and you are. And this is the residue of our imageness. Yes, we're fallen, but we still have these longings. And if I'm superficially engaged with those longings, that means I'll superficially engage with the gospel. Does the gospel have anything to do with those longings? Absolutely. When Jesus comes and says, I've come that you might have life, he's referring to these kind of things. Again, not for our self-improvement. The ultimate path is that we might glorify God fully as our creator. Now, some people say, well, you didn't mention on there, uh, I have a longing to be a professional basketball player, NBA. Or I have a longing to be a concert pianist. Those aren't longings, those are pursuits. So here's the deal. We've all got 
those longings. Yours right now might be for security. Yours might be for significance. Yours might be intimacy. And it depends on the day, and we ebb and flow. But what we do with our thirst, with our longing, is we then evaluate what is it, what is it that's going to quench our thirst, and we pick a pitcher. Let's see, and what this woman had done is picked marriage, but there, there are tons of other options. I'll call those pursuits. We adopt pictures of pursuits, things that we do, like relationships or work or marriage or hobbies or art or sports or education or sex or eating or addictions, politics, stealing, selfish causes, parenting, success, boyfriends, girlfriends, volunteering, porn, collecting, religion, making money, spending money, vacations, drinking, shopping. That list goes on and on. And when Jesus is calling that woman to engage her thirst, what's involved in that is identifying what am I longing for and, and what am I pursuing? In fact, something powerful to do, come up with a piece of paper on a, on a document on your, your phone and list the pursuits, the things that you're up to these days. Could be career stuff, relationship stuff, sin stuff. Put those on one side and on the other side, put what longings am I seeking to fulfill through that particular endeavor. Work, is it security? Is it significance? Slander, what's the longing we're seeking to fulfill through slander? Maybe it's significance. If I slander some other person, maybe I'll feel better about myself. Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. My people have committed two sins, God says. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. The spring of what? Living water. What a coincidence. Same, same English phrase Jesus uses. The Hebrews referred to it as maim chayim, living water. Something necessary for sh the shalom of our soul. So they've committed two sins. Number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and two, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. A cistern is a water container. So we have our thirst, we devise our own cistern, and we think this pursuit is what's gonna satisfy my deepest longings, and what God says is for those deepest longings, this is a broken pitcher, it's a broken cistern, it's not going to hold water. And what Jesus is doing is looking at that woman and saying, go, get your husbands and come back. He would say to somebody else, go get your bank account, go get your uh, neighborhood, go get your pet sin. It's an invitation of grace and truth. Engage your thirst in His presence under the light of His Word and the buoyancy of His grace and His forgiveness. But there's a second invitation that he's making to this woman, and he does the same thing with you and me. If we're going to be a community of men and women that are engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus, it'll involve us engaging our thirst, but it'll also involve us enlarging our thirst. And what I mean by enlarge your thirst is 
realize it's bigger than you, you thought. One of the reasons that we go after so many inadequate water sources to quench our thirst instead of going to the pitcher that Jesus was offering this woman himself, one of the reasons that we go to other things is that we don't realize how big our thirst is, how large it is. It's God-sized, it's Jesus-sized. He brings up eternal life. He brings up what you're thirsty for is something eternal. By the way, here in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about eternal life isn't just future, it's now. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10. I've seen the burden God's laid on the human race, and he's made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart. That does not say uh, he set eternity in the heart of church people. Every human heart. Every one of those people that wrote those amazing songs on that playlist, they've got eternity in their heart. In fact, that eternity in their heart is what's causing them to say, uh, there must be something more. So we're fallen men and women. We're Mago Dei, image of God, but we're fallen. Yet even in our fallenness, we still have eternity in our heart. So what's the consequence of the fall? Here it is. He says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, we got to turn it, but we can't figure it out. We can't figure out what will address it. So there's a blindness in our fallenness. I've uh, told some of you uh, long, long ago about I was, had a deadline for a book I was writing, and I went up to the mountains to a friend of mine's cabin for three days, and I had to meet this particular deadline. So I was kind of in a panic. So I'm I'm typing away on my laptop, and the, everything's going great until the battery starts blinking. So then I went to my briefcase and got the cord to charge up my laptop. And I'm holding the cord, and I'm looking around for an outlet. Now, what I'm about to say is technical. Unless you're, uh, you've got an electrical engineering background, I don't even know if you're going to be able to follow, because you know, here's the deal. It, my, my, my plug was a three-thingy plug. It's technical, I know. But, and it was an old cabin. Therefore, all the outlets were two-thingy outlets. I didn't have an adapter. I was an hour away from a hardware store to go down the mountain, do that. I was going to lose the afternoon. I'm thinking, if I do that, I'm not going to make this deadline. So I'm starting to panic a little bit, walking around and saying, I got a three-thingy plug. I'm staring at two-thingy outlets that are mocking me. Now, some of you are going to tell me afterwards, if somebody already has, you just had to break off that ground. Well, I didn't know that, all right? Walk around, but I finally found behind the refrigerator a three-thingy plug and a three-thingy outlet. So uh, the milk spoiled, but I got my deadline done. But think about that image and think about you. I, I think about me. I've got eternity in my heart. I've got an eternal plug, an eternal thirst. And I go around trying to stick that eternal thirst into temporary outlets. Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. All right, here's a question. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Put that, if you put that Psalm 42 back up on the screen. 
that last line, is that referring to church people? It's referring to every human being alive. Not every human being alive will acknowledge that. Psalm 63, verse 1, you, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you. So the reason he's earnestly seeking God is he understands something. Look at what he understands. We looked at this in our worship time. I, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And here's why he's so earnestly seeking after God. I'm in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Again, that's not a statement for religious people. That's a statement for every human being. But it's only when I become convinced that I live in a dry and weary land where there are no other water sources that will address my eternal thirst. When I start realizing that one's not going to work, that one's not going to work, that one's not going to work, and that one's not going to work. And then all of a sudden I acknowledge these are all broken cisterns. And they are far more fragile. They all should have broken. Just one did. This one, my thirst is Jesus-sized, God-sized. And Jesus is inviting that woman. He invites us as a community to authentically grapple with our thirst by doing this. Engage it, distinguish between pursuits and longings, trace those longings. Two, enlarge it, realize it's Jesus-sized. Here's the third one, and this is going to set the stage for us continuing on this journey in this series in weeks to come. Entrust it to Jesus. Will I have the courage to bring my thirst to Him? Will you? Will we? And the way we do that is not just via orthodoxy, but also vibrancy. It's not just screaming at people, hey, come to Jesus. It's journeying with people and saying, how's the gospel fit into this particular longing that you've got at work or that we've got at home? Jesus, verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. Whatever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's eternal life? We're going to look at it. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at the fact that eternal life is present tense. It's not just future tense. It is future tense, but it's also present. What is it? The one time that Jesus defines eternal life is in John chapter 17, verse 3. And he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So whatever this is has to do with a relationship with God. You're saying, oh, oh, oh no, no, don't dismiss. It is a relationship that's authentic. A relationship in which I lovingly, submissively, substantively, intimately authentically relate with God in such a way that it awakens my heart, not just in church, but in all of life, awakens my heart, addresses my longings, deepens my relationships with other people, permeates my work, enhances my recreation, triggers my laughter, authenticates my tears, fuels my compassion, 
unleashes my generosity, accelerates my creativity, deepens my story, confirms my destiny on a daily basis that whether I'm dealing with a client, whether I'm dealing with a golf shot, whether I'm dealing with a need in my neighborhood or an injustice in the world, there is, I've been entrusted with this new life in Jesus in which I can experience that life and give it away. And it fundamentally comes down to a daily moment by moment choice that I'm surely not perfect at yet, nor are you and we won't be until the new heaven and the new earth. But in the meantime, it's men and women saying, I will will opt for Jesus instead of all of these other mirages that present themselves. And that's a reset button that needs to happen about every 15 seconds in my life. Because the, these other, there's, there's an allure to all these other things. And some of them, like the marriage one, you know what, you're saying, well, marriage isn't bad. No, it's not. When I've got this order right though, then I'm no longer looking to my marriage what only Jesus can give me. But if I'm not, I'm putting way too much pressure on my spouse. A couple of these are sins, they just need to stay there. But maybe work. All of a sudden, instead of me becoming a workaholic because I'm desperate relying on work for my significance and security, all of a sudden it becomes, because I'm not looking to it what only Jesus can provide, it becomes something healthy, something generative in my culture. But it's those daily choices. You know, Beethoven, Ludwig von Beethoven, the composer, died at the age of 57 a few years ago. A scientist in Illinois named William Walsh did some research on Beethoven's, some of his strands of his hair. Chemical analysis trying to determine cause of death determined that in his system, he had 100 times more lead than was normal in a human being. He died of lead poisoning. What's fascinating is they traced that lead to a mineral spa near where he lived that he frequented. Beethoven would go to a, a mineral spa and soak in the mineral water for his health. And that's what killed him. And often what appears right in a man or woman's eyes is actually something that leads to death. May God give us the grace to choose life and to do it as a community. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are life. I thank you that you are enough. I thank you that the gospel doesn't come along and make these trite little promises that all our longings immediately are going to be satisfied. But what you do promise us in your resurrected hope is that all of our longings are addressed. Some won't be fully realized until the new heaven and new earth, but they start being addressed right now. Others are met immediately. It's a matter of processing that in community, having men and women around us that are calling out the inadequate pictures that we're going after for our deepest longings. Would you generate that kind of community in us? And would you give life to this culture through us? As we're coming not just as men and women that are prideful about our orthodoxy, may that not be the case at all, but may instead we be men and women who are humble 
about our, our, our orthodoxy and our, our trust in Christ and see that leading us into a, a vibrancy, a flourishing, a thriving as human beings. And may, through our vibrancy, we draw people to want to hear the explanation in our orthodoxy. In the name of the living water, I pray this, amen. Before we go, let's do a reset. I'm going to sing over you. I encourage you to just, this is one short song. It's a, it's a musical liturgy. Just have a posture of openness about maybe some pictures that are broken cisterns. We're going to sing over you these words, Lord, I need you. Start using that as your liturgy of your heart and saying, Jesus, I need you. And then we'll invite you to sing together and then I'll give you the good word.